Amen. It's good to be in God's house. Hallelujah. Just a couple of announcements before we get into the Word. One is a reminder that starting June, we're starting back up with our Wednesday night services at at church here at 7 o'clock. And so, just want to remind you about that. Starting in June, and also starting in June, we're going to start our services. We're going to start back up at 10.30 again. I know with COVID, we pushed it all together, closer together. We're going to start service again in June. First Sunday of June, we're going to start back at 10.30. And then later on, as we go through starting in fall, we'll start back our Sunday school ministry uh, at 9.30. But for now, uh, just a reminder, starting in June. And then next Sunday... We're going to honor our graduates, graduating students from high school. We have a bunch of them, three of them, and so we, we celebrate with them for this accomplishment. And so I encourage you to be there, and uh, it's going to be David, and there's Tony Mack, and Jaden. I think, yeah, so we'll be there to celebrate with them. Amen? Amen. I'm excited to be in God's house. Amen? And I'm excited to preach, as always, and uh, it's an... It's an honor that I don't take lightly, I'll be honest with you. It, it is humbling that he would consider me worthy to share his word. Amen. And so pray for me, because the weight of that responsibility is a lot. Yes, it is. Yeah. And this morning, I'm, just, I'm excited to share and expand on basically what, what uh, I started on Wednesday night and shared about on Wednesday night. Because this past Thursday, which was May the 14th, uh, the Orthodox or the church calendar, it's called Ascension Day. And I didn't know much about Ascension Day, and, and I'll be honest, I have preached for a long time now. I've never really preached on the Ascension, and I realized that, but studying it, and uh, ever since Easter, I've been in the Gospels and uh, Book of Acts, right, going through uh, right from Good Friday or Easter, right to the Ascension and Pentecost, which is next Sunday. And I've been, I've been living in that, if you want to call that, meditating, studying on that. And I came to this part, and it really surprised me that, you know, in a sense, like something, it just got me this time. I've read that portion of Scripture several times. And so Thursday is what we called Ascension Day, when Jesus ascended into heaven. It's basically 40 days after the resurrection, and 10 days before Pentecost. And so that's what we call the ascension. And, and we always have, you know, the important events in Jesus' life. I mean, we, we include his birth, of course, his life and his ministry, the crucifixion, Good Friday. We have the resurrection, and then we have the ascension too. And like I said, I focus on this part, and I don't remember... Hearing too many sermons on that. And what's interesting is that not all the Gospels even mention this event. Talked about this on Wednesday. John says nothing about the ascension. He ends his Gospel with saying that, hey, if, if they were, the world is not enough for all the books, if you write all the stories, there's not enough room you know, for the stories about Jesus. That's how he ends his Gospel. Matthew ends his Gospel with the Great Commission saying, what? I'll be with you to the end of the age, basically. And so Matthew ends with that, so no mention of the ascension. Mark, the gospel of Mark ends his gospel, again, with very similar to the uh, great commission found in Matthew. But then he writes this right at the end. After Jesus had spoken to them, 
he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. That's it, that one short sentence there. And then, of course, we look at Luke, which is, who is the historian, and he paints the, the biggest picture of the ascension of Jesus Christ. Now, most of us know Luke, the gospel, and Acts go together, really. They're two books, basically by the same author, and Luke's gospel, or the gospel of Luke, ends, you know, with him saying, and he's writing, of course, to Theophilus, he ends with this, when he had let them out, To the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. This is Luke 24, 58 to 52. Then they worshipped him and returned with great joy. That's Luke 24. So that's how he ends his gospel. But now let's look at how he begins the book of Acts. They go together. So turn with me this morning to the book of Acts. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Again, remember, he's ended, this is how he ends it, with Jesus ascending, and then now he starts his, his book, the book of Acts. If you want, many people call the Luke, the gospel, as the story of Jesus, and Acts, the story of the church. And so, they put it together. In my former book, Theophilus, who he's writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering he presented himself to them. And gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised. Which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In a few days, it's ten days. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They still don't really get it, but oh well. He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by, by his own authority. But eight, Verse 8, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before, them, before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Verse 10, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Angels, basically. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken up, who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. It's kind of as I was reading this and uh, it's a total side note. You know, you talk about Jesus going up and then this cloud surrounds him. And these people are looking. All the disciples are still looking and seeing. And I was just thinking about what did Peter, James, and John think? You know, because they were with him at the transfiguration. It's the same thing. Jesus kind of goes up in a cloud. I wonder if they were thinking, okay, the clouds are going to clear and Jesus is going to be there. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Anyway, we're going to go through several scriptures this morning. But I want us to also turn to one more portion of scripture that Paul writes to the church in Philippians. So turn with me to Philippians, the Christological hymn in Philippians chapter 2. 
what we call the incarnation, the incarnation when he came down and became, became man. In Philippians chapter 2, verses starting with verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the cross, uh, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. You see in that portion what we call the incarnation. Because you see in, it lays the life of Christ out there. He was equal to God. That's what it says right in the beginning. Right there. He was equal to God. But then what does he do? He made himself nothing. He chose to humble himself. What we call, he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? The divine power. He, he limited himself. He never ceased. Please don't get this confused. He never ceased to be God. But he took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. This is where God, God, the second person of the Trinity, takes on human form. And verse 8, it says what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death and death on the cross. Familiar portion talking about the crucifixion there. This whole portion basically what we call describes his incarnation. Where the second person of the Trinity takes on human form. Born of course of the Virgin Mary. Lives this perfect obedient sinless life. And then is put to death. Willingly goes to the cross. Suffers death in the, in the most humiliating fashion ever. And then because of his obedience, turn with me to verse 9. You see God's response because of his obedience. It says, this is God's response in verse 9. It says, therefore God, because of his obedience, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. It's talking about the ascension. He was ascended, taken up into heaven. Just a side note here. It's kind of interesting. Do you see something missing in that portion right there? If you look at that portion of scripture, you see something interesting. Again, side note. There's no mention of the resurrection at all. Talks about death and the cross, and immediately after the death is God's response where He exalts Him. So, again, I don't think Paul is minimizing the resurrection at all because you can't really be a believer without acknowledging the resurrection of Christ from the dead. So, I don't think He's doing that. He wouldn't write 1 Corinthians 15 and everything else about the resurrection. I don't think He's doing that, and I'm not minimizing that either. But what I want to draw your attention to today is that. The resurrection was not the final event in Jesus' life. It was the ascension that was the final event in his life. Amen. It was the ascension. We celebrate his birth. 
Christmas. We celebrate his life and his teaching. We study his teaching. We celebrate, of course, and empathize and mourn on Good Friday. We celebrate Easter and the resurrection, but very often we forget about the ascension. We haven't paid too much attention to the ascension, but please understand, church, Easter was not the ultimate event in Jesus' life. The ultimate event in Jesus' life is when God the Father exalts him to the highest place and seats him at the right hand of the Father. That is what we call the ascension. The ascension is the ultimate, the monumental event in the life of Jesus Christ. It's like we can't talk about his birth without talking about the cross. We can't talk about the cross without talking about the resurrection. We should not talk about the resurrection without talking about the ascension either. Again, it's just, I don't know, I've, I wrote so much stuff, 20-something pages, so I'm not going to keep you that long. I reduced it to 10, promise you. But I had realized time and time again, how did I miss it? I was like a kid in a candy store. It just blew my mind away. Because we haven't paid enough attention to this, to the ascension. It is, like I said, it's the climax of everything. That God exalted him to this highest place. I mean, and, and the imagery that came into my mind is several of them. Again, I said my imagination kind of went all over the place with this. You know, you talk about his, his birth. The, I, I, talk, I thought about it like a race. Okay? His life is this preparation, the discipline that we have, you know, to run the race. The test is the race. That's the cross. That's the test. Winning the race was Easter. He won the race. But the crowning moment is when he gets that medal where God exalts him to the highest place. It's like graduation. Yes, we pass the test, but we don't celebrate passing the test as much as the graduation where he gets a certificate and holds it in his hand. Man, we miss out on Ascension Day sometimes. And I was like, man, we need to do something. Not because I want to be traditional or anything, but that's what we glory in. The glory of Christ is our glory too. And let's be careful. We glory, let me say this, not asking for glory for ourselves, but we celebrate that glory. The ascension is the crowning moment in his life. It's that moment where God puts a stamp of approval and validates everything that he has done in his life so far. Through his death, through his life, through his resurrection. And then God validates it by setting him up to the right hand. Lifting him up, exalting him to the right hand of the Father. And then puts everything else under his feet. It's amazing. Because you think about it. Jesus spoke about his death. We He spoke about his resurrection, but he also spoke about his ascension quite a bit. And so I'm just going to read a few scriptures right here. John 6, chapter 6, verse 62. Jesus says this. What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? He's talking about what? The ascension. Go back to heaven. John 7, 33. I am with you for only a short time, and then I am going to the one who sent me. Talking about his ascension again. John 14, 28. You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would, have, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father 
is greater than I. Again, talking about the ascension. And you can infer, you know, he says, he says then, 1428, you heard me say I'm going away. So you can infer from that that he's talked about it before too. John 16, 5. But I'm going to him who sent me. Yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. They don't get it. When he said he's going back, they're just not bothered about them. They're just worried about themselves, I guess. He's teaching them about the ascension, but they are not interested into where he's going. Again, 16 verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. It is for your good that I'm going away. So yes, we see that he taught about the cross. He taught about the resurrection very specifically. After three days, he'll rise. But he also talked about the ascension. And so why is the ascension significant? And I've got a few points here. I'll go as fast as I can. Several things that I have picked out. Number one, the resurrection signified, number one, the end of his earthly ministry. The end of his earthly ministry. This was a definite moment in time, in history. A definite moment which signified the completion of his earthly work. He was born, he ministered, he dies, rose from the dead. And now he's gone. He's ascended into heaven. His His earthly work was done. His earthly work was done. What was his earthly work? To die as a sacrifice for sin. To pay that price. And he did that. His earthly work was done. His work was what? To pay the price for sin. When he says it is finished on that cross. What's finished? The sacrifice, that pure, spotless lamb. That was going to be an acceptable sacrifice for the sin of all the world. He did that. It is finished. He finished that right there. At the cross, he finished the sacrificial work, but in the ascension, he finished the purpose for which he came. I mean, you've got to think about this. All along, he knew why he came. Right from when he was a young person, he says, what? I'm about my, my father's business. I'm about my father's business. He tells you, what? Not my will. Right at the end, too. What does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. He had a definite clue. He knew what his purpose was. On the cross, like I said, the sacrifice was made when he said, it is finished. At the ascension, the work was truly finished. His earthly mission was truly finished. And then God gives that stamp of approval right at the end. Think with me for a minute, because at the baptism, if you remember at his baptism, as John baptized him and he comes out, what happens? There's the voice from heaven that's saying, what, this is my... Beloved son, if you learn the KJV part, with whom I am well pleased. I doubt the people in Jerusalem heard that, right? But think about it. The second time, now he's going to send him up, exalt him to a place. He says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And then every knee will bow and every tongue confess. It's not going to be a quiet, localized praise to who this person is. Second time, it's going to be for the whole world to see, the whole universe, every creature in every realm of the world. doesn't matter what. It ends. So it was the significance as it marked the end of his earthly ministry. The persecution of men is changed to the applause of angels. The cruelty of the cross is exchanged for a glorious crown. The second significance is the restoration of his power. 
the restoration of this power. And we need to understand this. Because in the incarnation, he did not cease to be God. But Jesus, when he chose to become man, he didn't stop being God, but he limited himself. He emptied himself. He limited himself of the power that he had as God. He made that choice. And the ascension brought an end to that limitation. Again, he doesn't set aside his power anymore. Like he did earlier. Now he's ascended. Now he's restored. The total power again. Not that he lost it. He limited himself. Please get that right. Now he doesn't limit himself anymore. John 17 verse 5. It's an interesting prayer Jesus made. Father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. He never lost his glory. But at the ascension, he was glorified again to what he had before. At the ascension, someone said, at the ascension, uh, Jesus left the here for the everywhere. He left the now for the forever. He left the first century to fill all centuries. He wasn't limited by time. He wasn't limited by space. He wasn't limited by the limits that we have as mankind. In the ascension, he was restored. His power was restored. He goes back. But here's the thing. Yes, he's restored. The glory he had, he has again. But there is a difference. There is a difference. He goes back to receiving the glory he always had. But there's a difference here. He returns with the scars and the signs of the suffering from when he was on earth. How do we know that? Because if you read the book of Revelation, when John says in John chapter 5, he's talking about, you know, all these scrolls and everything else. And then he says he sees the lamb that looked like it had been slain. He bears now in eternity in heaven, he bears the scars. And those scars purchased our salvation and we rejoice in those scars. It's amazing as you read Revelation 4 and 5. And I love the song we sang today. Because he bears those visible scars of being that sacrificial lamb. And what did they say? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength. And glory and honor and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea. And all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. At the ascension, he was restored to his power. And he deserves all the glory, but he still bears the scar as the slain Lamb of God. And all the, I love that verse 14. And all the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped him. Amen. Ascension signified the restoration of his power. Number three kind of goes from this. Third thing about the ascension is his exaltation to ultimate authority. Mm-hmm. Talking about worship here. We read just now in Philippians 2, God exalted him. And gave him a name that is above 
every name. God exalted him and gave him that name. And at that name, every knee will bow. And every tongue, we know what to say, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. His exaltation is in such a place that every creature will bow down and acknowledge and worship him who is seated on the throne and the lamb that was slain. Ephesians 1, Paul writes, Now he is far above any ruler, authority, or power, or leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. And then verse 22, And God has put all things under the authority of Christ, and has made him the head of all things. In the ascension, he was restored the power, but also he was exalted to the highest place. And that everything now lies again, once again, under his authority. Amen. It's amazing when Peter, you think about Peter when he talks on the, on the day of Pentecost, as he stands up, he talks, and it's, it's really, it's a prophetic word that David gives. You know, stay here while I make your enemies, you know, a footstool. Stay here on the right hand of God while I make your enemies your footstool. And then what does Peter say? He's not talking about David. David wasn't talking about himself. He was looking to the future and talking about the Messiah. That the Messiah is exalted to the right hand of God. And then his enemies are made the footstool. All authority is given to him once again. God raised him from the dead, Paul says, and seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That people from all ages, whether good, bad, indifferent, doesn't matter, angels, beings, I don't know, demons, everybody, Satan himself, will have to come to a point where they confess, he is Lord. That's why the ascension is important. Sovereign authority. He put all things under his feet. All things. Everybody and everything. Think about Stephen. And this is Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He's being tried and later gets stoned. But what happens in Acts chapter 7 verse 55. It says, but Stephen full of the Holy Spirit. Looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56, and by the way, this is the only place where there's a real revelation of this. Stephen is the only one. Look, he says, I see heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. All authority is his now. He's been exalted. Again, please remember, he didn't lose it. But now it's been restored. When you think about the resurrection, God being so satisfied, so pleased with his son that he puts him back on the throne, if you want to call it that, and then makes his enemies their footstool. Why do you think they got so mad with Stephen and dragged him out of the city? As soon as he says that, they dragged him out. Because what? He was saying, guess what? Those enemies are a footstool. Footstool isn't a place you just put your legs up. Then back then it simply meant that's where you get crushed. That's where you're being judged. And Stephen was telling them, hey, you guys who persecuted Jesus, put him on the cross. Now you are going to fall under the judgment of God. And they couldn't tolerate that part. Anyway, side note there. But all authority is his. Number four, the ascension signified the coming of the Holy Spirit. We cannot, cannot, cannot miss that point there. 
The ascension signaled the sending of God, the Holy Spirit. Back in the upper room on the night, you know, before he was crucified, what does he say in John 16, 7? He says, I tell you the truth, it is, to, it is for your good that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the helper or the comforter won't come. Again, Luke, in, chap- in Acts chapter 1, he says, don't go anywhere. Stay in Jerusalem until what? The promise that the Father has given you comes. And when the promise comes, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remote or the utmost parts of the world. But I'm going to heaven. This is for your good. This is for your advantage. Because when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit. It was necessary for Jesus to ascend so that when he ascends, the Holy Spirit would descend and live within each and every one of us. I mean, that's, you, can, you can understand what Jesus is saying, and you've got to go. You know, you've had me. He's talking to the disciples. Hey, you've, I've been with you. You've had me for, for so many years, three years. You've had me. But realize, I have got to go because, you know, right now I'm limited. I can only be here at one point and one time. But when I go, there will be a power that comes that will allow me to be wherever, all over the place at all times. That's why it's necessary for me to go. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, He dwells. He will dwell inside each and every one of us. He will become, you will become the temple of the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, sorry. He will empower you. He will enable you. He will comfort you. He will guide you in all truth. But that would not have happened if God or Jesus hadn't ascended to the right hand of the Father. Ten days after he makes this promise in Acts chapter 1, we see in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes. And of course, there's this, this explosion where the power of God just falls in that place. The power of the Holy Spirit falls in that place. And Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 people get saved. And ever since then, the power of the Holy Spirit has been saving thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. It's not the preaching. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that wins people's lives. But that would not be possible if Jesus hadn't ascended to heaven. The coming of the Holy Spirit established the church. You've got to understand that they kind of go hand in hand. Starting with Acts chapter 2. John 16, 12. I have much more to say to you. More than you can now bear. But when he, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The going of Jesus again allowed the coming of the Holy Spirit and the coming of the Holy Spirit ushered in the beginning of the church. Honestly, it's hard to imagine life in a church without the Spirit. It's impossible. We know this already. The gifts of the Spirit were not just for us to, 
you know, speak in tongues and everything else and get warm and fuzzy and emotional, you know, feel good all about ourselves. The gift of the Holy Spirit primarily was given what? To equip, to build, edify the church. It's hard to imagine our lives, like I said, in this church without the work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And not just in the corporate setting, but even in our own personal lives because He dwells in each and every one of us. I've said this before, I cannot imagine my life without the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of me. Doesn't mean I live a perfect life, but he enables me. He gives me strength. He gives me hope. He gives me power. He gives me peace. I can go on and on and on because he lives in me. But that was only possible because Jesus ascended into heaven. He gives me hope. He gives me peace. He guides me, corrects me, helps me, with me all the time. What does the ascension mean for us? It means that the Holy Spirit lives within each and every one of us. Number five. The ascension also signified the transfer of responsibility. Transfer of responsibility simply meaning this. The passing off the gospel responsibility from Jesus to his followers. Jesus finished, please listen to me. Jesus finished the work of salvation and redemption. He did not finish the work of preaching the gospel to all creatures. That responsibility lies with us. It's not our responsibility to save people. We can never save people. Our responsibility is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. It's interesting, Acts chapter 1, it says he began to do and teach it until the day he was taken up. Never says that he finished doing it. And once he was taken up, he passed that on to whom? To his disciples and his apostles and through the disciples, through, go to their disciples. And from their disciples, it goes on and on and on through the years, through the centuries, till it rests with us, his disciples right now, his body, the body of Christ, the church. We have the responsibility to take his gospel to the world around us. Amen. The ascension signified that transfer of that responsibility to us. Ephesians 4, where we, we know this, the ministry is there. He says what? He descended. He, he is the very one who ascended. Talking about the ascension. High, higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole world. So Christ gave what? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for works of service. For works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. He gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for equipping the saints. For another translation, the older, I think it says the works of the ministry. Preaching the gospel is one of them. It signified, the ascension signified that it is our responsibility now to take the gospel, the truth of God's word to the world that desperately needs it now. It's kind of interesting. How can we accomplish such a big task? It's because of the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within each and every one of us. That's it. 
dwells in each and every, every single believer. Think about this with me for a minute. Jesus talking to his disciples right at the end as he ascends. He says, stay here till the Holy Spirit comes upon you, basically. And think about these original apostles and believers, disciples back then. The Holy Spirit empowers them to preach, but also remember this part. The Holy Spirit inspires them to write the New Testament. If Jesus didn't rise again, the gospel wouldn't be preached by these disciples. But we wouldn't have the New Testament because it's the Holy Spirit that inspired them. To write the holy, the word of God. And so just think about it right now. How do we have this power? We have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. We have that power, but we also have the power, the same Holy Spirit that inspired his word. We have that too. To preach and take the word to the whole world. It's just amazing. Jesus ascended to the heaven. We have now the power of the Holy Spirit within each and every one of of us and we have the spirit inspired word of God spirit inspired word of God and that's how we continue the work responsibility of what he told us number six why was the ascension significant because it began his heavenly ministry it marked the beginning Of what Jesus is doing in heaven now for us. You know this part and it's divided into two parts. One is the preparation for our heavenly home. I mean, it marked the beginning. As he goes back to prepare, what does he say in John 14? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But what? I go there to prepare a place... For you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, what? I am coming again to receive you. What is Jesus doing right now? He's not retired. He's not sitting on that throne, I mean, sitting at the right hand of God with his hands folded, enjoying the praise of every... Yes, I'm sure he is. People are worshiping him, but he's not just sitting there resting on his laurels, if you want to call it that. I've done my work, I've done my job, now it's time for me to chill. No. He's preparing a place for us, but it also says what? He is sitting at the right hand of God, making intercession for us as our high priest. He's not taking time off. Hebrews 4, 14, 16, that whole portion, he basically says, sitting at God's right hand, Jesus is our interceding high priest. Making intercession for us. 1 John 1 tells us the whole idea there is about he being our advocate before the Father. He's not just saying, you know, I've done my part. He's not washed his hands off and now just watching us suffer. No. He's pleading our case. Every accusation that the enemy and Satan throws, he pleads our case as our lawyer, as our high priest, as our uh, intercessor. Our advocate. When the enemy throws an accusation, he's there before God defending us. And I like the phrase. It says a sympathetic high priest. Why is he sympathetic? Because he was tempted in all ways to the extreme, yet did not sin. So he sympathizes with us in our weaknesses as he pleads our case before God. 
He understands what we are going through. And that's why he pleads our case before God. His ascension meant that we have a high priest who stands before God making our case. And let me finish this last one here. Church, let me say something sorry before going. We can never minimize his grace and his mercy. It's because of that that he, not that we'll get it all right, we will mess up. But we have a sympathetic high priest who pleads our cause before God. He says he's able to save. We don't have to worry about it. I know a lot of growing up especially, you know, you do something wrong, I'm scared I'm not going to make it to heaven, scared of lose my salvation and everything else. I'm not going the other extreme, but I'm saying, hey, we have someone who sympathizes with us in our weakness. He is able to keep those God has entrusted to him. Number seven, and the last part that I have, finally, the ascension simply simplifies this, signifies this. It guarantees his return. Hallelujah. It guarantees his return. The angel, the two angels that were there, they tell these disciples, they're staring up basically into the sky. And he says, the same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. As he ascended, the clouds covered him. Guess what? He's going to come back in the clouds is what Paul says. He was in the clouds. He guarantees, his ascension guarantees that he will return. Because he says, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And once it's done, what? I will come back to take you with me. It's a guarantee. I think it's a waste of time to speculate when that is going to happen. But we need to know it is going to happen. It is going to happen when he will come back and take us to be with him. It is guaranteed because he went up. He will also come back down again. Trust me, church, that will be a glorious sight. It will be a glorious sight. The Lord himself will come down what, with a loud command in the voice of the archangel. The trumpet will call. The dead in Christ shall rise. And then we who are living will be caught up in the clouds with him. I don't think there will ever be a spectacle like that ever, ever, ever again. And we will meet him and be with him. His ascension guarantees that he will come down again. He will return, but he's not coming meek and mild as a helpless baby anymore. He's coming as the king of kings, the Lord of lords, riding on that white horse, judging the world, but also taking from the world his own. I don't know about you, church, but I'm looking forward to that day. And we better be ready. Because he ascended, he will return. He will Return again. The significance of the ascension signified the end of his earthly ministry. The restoration of his power where he's not limited. He can be all places at all times. He's exalted, given the highest authority where the enemies are now crushed beneath his feet. And exalted to a place where every creature in heaven and under, on the earth and under the earth 
will bow down and worship. His ascension guarantees also the sending of the Holy Spirit, which dwells richly within each and every one of us. And now we have the Spirit-inspired Word of God too. The ascension also reminds us of our responsibility to do what Christ started, preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized. We take the gospel, make disciples. It reminds us of that. The ascension also reminds us or signifies the beginning where he's preparing a place for us, where he's also interceding for each and every one of us. And then the ascension also guarantees his return. Soon and very soon. What's the song? We are going to see the king. That's where we're going. Bow your heads with me this morning, church. I have no idea. I got so pumped up reading and studying for this sermon. I have no idea how I've missed this so many times. I mean, got bits and pieces of this, but man, it's a glorious sight. If it was amazing when he left, just imagine how much more amazing when he comes back again as King of kings and Lord of lords over all creation, establishing what it says in Revelation, the new heavens and the new earth. What, how amazing is that? But it was ne- necessary for him to go so that now we will be prepared. Church, I wish we could just put ourselves in John's shoes as he's sitting on that island of Patmos right there. He sees this lamb that looks like it was slain. Who opens these scrolls and everything else. And then that heavenly chorus that sings, worthy, worthy, Worthy is the lamb that was slain. That's where he is, church. Seated at the right hand of God, bearing the marks of his suffering. A sympathetic high priest who pleads our cause before the Father. That every sin, every weakness... Every accusation no longer holds water because we have a high priest. Here's the thing. We are, we who are his, we don't have to worry about the judgment of God anymore. Because it says we will reign with him while the enemies of God are made a footstool.
the same Jesus who was taken up will come down. And when he comes down the next time, he's going to gather his own. I don't think my mind can fully fathom what the day is going to be like. I know it blows my mind just thinking about it. But oh, glorious day. Not just when he rose, but when he comes back again. Lord, you are worthy, God. Let's all stand to our feet for a few moments here, church. It was necessary for our benefit, it says. And Jesus tells his disciples, but it applies to us too. It's for your good that I have to go. It's for our good. Because now he's not limited to anyone, any one place, any one person, no small group. Now that he went, he sent us the Holy Spirit. And now through the Holy Spirit, he is there with everybody. past, he's here with us, he is in the future no longer limited no longer limited no eyes have seen no ear has heard and I don't think any of us can really fathom what it will be like when he comes back again God, I pray, God, that that we will also take time, God, to worship the Lamb that was slain, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You're worthy of our praise, Lord. Worship with us for a minute, church. Lift up your voice and give Him praise this morning. Hallelujah.
God, we join this heavenly chorus of God that cry out and worship you, at the right hand of the Father. Seated as that precious Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of this world. Seated at the right hand of God where now you receive all honor, all glory, and all praise, God. Exalted to the place of God. Where we know, God, that there will be a day where those who God doesn't matter if they're saved, not saved, believe, agnostic, atheist, it doesn't matter. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are God. Yes, Lord, I pray you give us a glimpse, Lord. Open our eyes, Lord, to see you, God, in a way like that. Our hearts, oh God, our minds to understand in our own finite way, God. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. The reminder that you dwell in each and every one of us. That you haven't abandoned us, God, but what you've given us is your Holy Spirit. That empowers us face life and whatever life has to throw at us. Remind us, God, of our responsibility, Lord, to take your word, God, to spread that good news of the kingdom of God. In our daily lives as we go, God, Lord, I pray you open doors, Lord, Send people across our lives, the Lord, who need to hear the good news of the gospel. Give us the boldness of God to speak your truth. Thank you, Father. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Lord, you alone are worthy of our praise, Lord. You deserve all the honor and all the glory, God. And this morning as a church, we are grateful, Lord. I pray your presence will be real, Lord God, in our lives, Lord. I pray, God, that we will always be mindful. always be mindful to give you give you praise thank you Father once again Lord thank you God thank you Jesus just let me remind you even just Lord just serves my it's not based on our performance at all based on what he has already done on the cross when he died, when he rose again and when he ascended into heaven we don't have to perform to earn anything all we got to do is humble ourselves humble ourselves it's not about getting it perfect either understand that we have a sympathetic high priest who pleads our case our cause before God. Lord, I pray that that assurance, oh Lord, the gift of your Holy Spirit, the fact that you will never abandon us, will stay with us in our minds. As we go from this place, oh God, in the week to come, in the years to come, oh God, I pray your presence will be real in our daily lives. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of the week. Amen.